saw is the uh, story of the message we're going to take a look at. It's found in John chapter 2. So I get your Bibles opened up, and uh, we want to take a look there in just a moment. That's a great visual to help us understand what was going on in this context. Uh, this is the first miracle of Jesus. Um, but it's also a miracle where Jesus begins to display his glory. It's a sign of the glory of Jesus. We see that in the text in verse 11. This is the first of his sign that Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. The first of his signs. Literally the first of a number of pointers that were going to be seen throughout the gospel of John that would show the glory of Jesus Christ, would show him as the Messiah, show him as the King of kings, And this week and for the next five weeks, we're going to take a look at um, six of these times when the Lord Jesus Christ shows a sign of his glory. Now, some people in their discussion about this would say uh, maybe there are more than six, there might be eight, there might be nine, but there are six that everyone's in consensus about that they are signs where the terms around Jesus displaying his glory are seen. Does it mean the other ones aren't important? Of course they are, and we're going to look at all of them as well. But we're going to take a look at these uh, six. Um, they were done to show the glory of God revealed in Christ. They explicitly referred to as signs, and all were public actions of Jesus. The first one today is the water to wine. Uh, then the next one will be the healing of the nobleman's son in John 4, 43 to 54. The healing of the lame man in John 5. The feeding of the multitude in John 6. The healing of the blind man in John 9. And the raising of Lazarus in John 11. Each of them, so that we can see the glory of Christ, but each of them that we can learn some lessons from. So let's dive right in. Uh, let's stand together. Let's honor the Lord as we read his word. And I'm going to read John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there are six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, uh, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Father, the Lord Jesus Christ has come he is living amongst us in this text. He has come into the world. And he begins to demonstrate his glory that will be 
revealed ultimately in um, his death, burial, resurrection. Father, as he goes to be with you. Father, there's so much for them to learn, so much for them to see, and this is just the beginning. I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word today that you would give us ears to carefully listen uh, to what we can learn from this text, that your spirit would work, Father. We would set aside any, any distractions that are around us today. And Lord, Lord, what do you have for me today? Why am I here at church? What does your spirit want to say? So lead us, we pray, in this time, that we would hear, we would listen, we would understand but Lord, we would be changed as a result and live differently for the glory of the one who came to show his glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. All right, well, you can take your seats. I wrote down for me the big idea of this message is how the glory of Jesus shines when the wheels fall off in my life. How the glory of Jesus shines when the wheels fall off in our life. Now that wheels fall off is an idiom that relates when something major malfunctions on a vehicle and the wheels fall off. Well, in this wedding, the wheels fell off and um, we want to see what we can do, how we can respond to it. It was June the 10th, 2005. On the CTV evening news, it carried the story of a catastrophic storm cell that had gone through Hamilton and down through Stony Creek. It was on a Friday night, the night before a wedding that was to occur in Hamilton, Ontario. A major storm went through at a brand new banquet center. Uh, there was so much rain came uh, that it landed on the roof and the roof couldn't handle it and the roof collapsed in and the back wall blew out of the building. How do I know about that story? Because that was my son's wedding. And I remember lying in bed at 10 o'clock that night and Carl calling me and saying, Dad, the venue's gone. The venue's gone. Like, the back wall blew out. The roof caved in. We have nowhere to have the reception. And I gotta tell you, on the practical side, was I ever glad I was the father of the groom and not the father of the bride? Okay, on that night. Um, long story short, though, the venue didn't give up. They could have, like they could have, but they found another place. Because on that night, as I talked with my son and as we prayed together, I said, Carl, it doesn't matter if we have submarine sandwiches in the church basement tomorrow. Tomorrow you're getting married. But the venue went ahead and they found another place and they had the wedding and it was great. And now they have a story to tell for the rest of of their lives, and uh, I remember at the end of that call, though, we prayed and tried to go to sleep, and because the wheels fell off. What, what's, what's your life like when the wheels um, fall off? So we want to dive into this text. We want to see some things, but always remembering behind these things we're looking at today is the Lord Jesus Christ revealing himself so that we would see his glory revealing himself so that, the, that we would understand, revealing himself so that we would see him as the Messiah, the King of Kings, the one who was sent from God, the one who would be the satisfaction of God's wrath. All of this is now beginning to be laid out for us to see. And so in the text, six things I want us to see for us to do when the wheels fall off. 
The text starts out in verses one to three, and it says, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said, they have no wine. Three days later, three days after what? Well, probably three days after the a calling of Philip and Nathaniel. It's just things are moving along on the timeline, and three days later, um, Jesus is about to do a miracle. He doesn't do the miracle as we would expect. If you're revealing yourself as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, like why would you do it in this way? Kind of like his birth. Why would you have a birth that was quiet and in a manger? And like, why wouldn't it be done so the kings would see and the princes would see and the Pharisees would see and the scribes would see? Uh, the incarnation of Jesus wasn't like that. And as he begins to reveal himself, he doesn't reveal himself to the kings and the queens and the princes and the Pharisees and the scribes. And the, he reveals himself to general common people, people like you and I. And he goes to a wedding. He begins his declaration at a wedding where he's simply in fellowship with common people, a friend of sinners. Christ didn't insulate himself from sinners, but rather rubbed shoulders with them on a regular basis. And we see that all through scripture. But I was reminded of Colossians chapter four, verses five and six, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so even as Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, he's telling them that we're gonna live in our world and we need to be part of this world, not, not of the world, but we live in this world. And so Jesus is there. He's at the wedding. His mom's been invited. He's been invited. The disciples who've been called so far are invited and they are all there. Just a little side note I was thinking about yesterday or on Friday as I was writing this message, a, a note to anyone getting married. Make sure you invite Jesus to your wedding. Make sure you invite Jesus to your wedding. But more importantly, make him front and center in your marriage. But these people invited Mary and they invited Jesus and they invited the disciples and, and the wedding is going on and everything seems to be going on okay. But then this problem arises, the good wine runs out. And then the not so good wine runs out. And so what would happen is you went to a wedding, they would serve wine and you would always serve the best wine first. And then as people drank more, you would serve a lesser quality wine, but it was a faux pas. Um, it was a social disaster if the wine ran out. And that's what's going on here. The wine runs out. They've got this huge problem. The people are gonna go home from this wedding. How was the wedding? It stunk, like the wine ran out halfway through the thing. How, who does that? Can I just uh, make a couple of comments about the wine? For those of you who maybe were brought up thinking Jesus just made grape juice, he didn't just make grape juice. Jesus made wine. It was better than the wine they had before. Sue and I, in our lives, have decided that we're gonna be abstainers. It's our choice, our decision. Uh, we choose not to drink, and, uh, and I would never force that on anyone. I see the abuses of alcohol, um, 
Alcohol in and of itself isn't evil. Strong drink, the Bible talks very specifically about. The misuse of alcohol is the problem. Um, it's not today's topic specifically, but over in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, uh, verses 17 to 19, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. If you're going out somewhere and saying to your wife, you're going to have to drive home, you're not living right before the Lord. Don't get drunk. Can I say that one more time? Don't get drunk. Is a glass of wine sinful? Is a glass of wine wrong? No, I, I wouldn't say. We choose not to, but um, I think it's important to understand what the word says. It says, don't be drunk with wine. Why? Because God has something better, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There's prohibition against strong drink in Scripture. There's prohibition against a drunkenness. Um, and the implications of alcohol and death by drunk drivers and abuse in families and co-workers. I was called to jury duty one time. There's a thrill of your life getting called to jury duty. And the case that was before us was a guy who was driving south on Highway 11 by the airport in, in uh, Muskoka. And he was drunk and he swerved across the road through the median, which you could do back then, up the other side, head-on collision, and he killed somebody. And uh, I wasn't called to serve in that case, but... He was a drunk driver. Um, we see the abuse in families and co-workers, sexual assaults by drunken men or women. I thought about this as I was praying through this text. You cannot be intoxicated and filled with the spirit at the same time. Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. So we have this problem in the text. Back to the text that there's this problem that there is no wine. And so here's the six things I want us to see as we go through. When, we, when our life gets to that place where the wheels are falling off, because for the bride and the groom and the manager of the wedding, this thing is a disaster. It's going to be a dumpster fire. It's going downhill fast. And so what happened? What were the principles that we can learn from this in our lives? Here's the first thing. Bring it to Jesus. When the wheels fall off in your life, bring it to Jesus. Now, chapter 2, verse 3, the last part, uh, Mary comes to Jesus and says to him, they have no wine. So what's the wheels falling off situation in your life today? What does, what's your wheels falling off story? Uh, maybe it's your job. Uh, maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your marriage or you don't have a marriage. Maybe it's your health or your finances or, or maybe it's the anxiety around the world. What is the thing? It seems like it's all falling apart and I don't know how to put the pieces back together again. And Mary comes and she brings the problem to Jesus. We were at the GCC conference this week and in one of the sessions this week, I was uh, deeply convicted about presuming on God. Bringing stuff to Jesus. We have a building here. We have lights and a sound system. 
We have good people. We have resources. We have good ministries. And and we kind of get to the place of, okay, God, now you do your thing. Like we do our part, kind of. And, And I was really stirred in my own spirit about this message and every message I ever preach. Do we bring it to Jesus? How much time do I spend pre-preparation bringing the text to Jesus? How much time do I spend in the, in the preparation of the message thinking about who's sitting over here and who's sitting over here and who's sitting over here? Not that this would ever be a bully pulpit, but Lord, what is it you want me to say from your word? Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. And I had to confess before the Lord too many times in my life I've prepared a message because I can and too many times I've delivered it because I can and too many times by God's grace he worked because he can but I didn't really bring it to Jesus. And I was struck by that and I confessed that and I asked the Lord to help me to grow in that. That every message I ever preached, there would be a significant amount of time before God, on my face, in prayer. Lord, if you don't do something through this text, if you don't work in this place. Well, that was my bring it to Jesus. But yours will look different. And what is that in your life? And it's before you right today. The wine has run run out. The wheels are falling off and you're just pushing through and muscling on and trying harder, but you're not bringing it to Jesus. And that's the first thing that happened. Bring it, bring it to Jesus. Pray, pray, pray. Bring it to Jesus. Here's the second thing then from verse four. Do what he says. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Okay, so I want you to notice something. In the the ESV, it says woman, which is right. It's a very accurate term. Um, um, Woman, do whatever he tells her. Excuse me, woman, what does that have to do with me? It sounds so derogatory in our society, right? If I'd ever gone up to my mother and said, woman, <laughs> I'd be like, oh man, that hurt what she did back to me, right? You would never do that. It's like, if I went up to the store and said, hey, woman, go do the dishes, right? It's going to be a really bad night for me, okay? Okay, so we have to understand the context. That is not the context of what was going on here. It wasn't a derogatory. It wasn't a negative thing. It wasn't a hurtful comment. There's a woman, what does this have to do with me? So those of you who want to get all upset for Jesus to be arrogant and proud, sorry, not in this text. And uh, it wasn't like that. It wasn't a slam on her. It sounds bad in our culture, but it wasn't in their culture. It also wasn't a passive comment. Uh, Perhaps Mary is going to go on a learning curve in this text that she needs to go on as Jesus now is revealing himself as the Messiah and the relationship between him and his mother is going to begin to look different now. 
it's, it's cool that she saw the problem and she looked around and she's like, oh, the only answer to the problem is Jesus. Like she sure got that right. But she didn't get to presume on him. She didn't get to go, hey, 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 Jesus, take care of this. Woman, what does this have to do with me? Perhaps Jesus is helping Mary see that that relationship is changing. John Piper wrote this. I think the answer is that Jesus felt a burden to make clear, not only to his mother and his brothers and sisters who were there, but to all the rest of us that because of who he was, physical relationship on earth um, would not control him or oblige him. His mother and his physical family would have no special advantage to guide his ministry and his mother and physical family would have no special advantage to receive his salvation. What does this have to do with me? It's interesting, that term that Jesus says, you see it four or five times in the New Testament. Every other time it's used, it's used by demons talking to Jesus. Um, and when Jesus intrudes on their domain and starts to exert power over them, they say, what have you to do with us, O son of God? And so that's kind of the, the context of this. It's not, not that she was a demon. I'm not saying that at all, but that's the context of what's going on here. The gist of the phrase is, I don't want you pressing in here. You shouldn't coming to me like this. This isn't yours to deal with. And then Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. Now, Jesus says that many times in the New Testament until he arrives in Jerusalem to be crucified for our sins. In verse five, his mother said to him, do whatever he tells you. So Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. He's just beginning to show. This is the beginning of his public ministry. He's beginning to demonstrate, but this not his hour. This is not when he's going to shine as it were. This is not when it's going to be accomplished. The hour that's going to come is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's still coming down the road. But somehow, Mary's just like, just do whatever he tells you to do. Whatever he tells you to do, you just do it. And so if the first thing is bring it to Jesus and then the next thing is just do what he says. Then the third thing is submit to his purpose. Submit to his purposes. So the servants, they're all ready to go. Look at verses six and seven. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water and they filled them up to the brim. Now I'm sure... They've just been told, do whatever he tells you. Just do whatever he tells you. They, they got their keys out. They've checked their visa. They're ready to go to the LCBO and see if they can pick up some more bottles of wine and get them back to the wedding before anybody ever really knows. Okay, they didn't have keys. They didn't have cars. And there was no LCBO. And, and Jesus is like, see those six water pots? Just go and fill them up. And fill them up to the brim. What? There was a picture in all of this because those were used for washing, for a purification. For that was all part of what's going on here. But um, submit to his purpose. Just submit to his purpose. 
Do whatever he tells you to do. Fill some water jars to the brim. Really? That sounds nuts. Like, how is that going to solve the problem? So now everybody can have a bath. (laughs) Happens a lot in the Bible. March around the city seven times and then blow the trumpets. Really? Okay. Throw your net over on the other side. Why? Because the fish are over there and not over there. Like, this is the way we always do it. And Jesus says to Peter, come to me on the water. Really? Submit to his purpose. Jesus began this miracle by using what was at hand. The water pots, obviously, as I said, they related to the system of law and ceremonial purification. The water pots were filled to the brim with no move, no room to add anymore. I love this little statement I heard this week. Jesus was, wasn't going to do something, uh, excuse me, Jesus wasn't going to add something to the water. He was going to transform it, which is exactly what he did in my heart, exactly what he does for you. Jesus wasn't going to add something to the water. They filled it to the brim. He was going to transform it. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, this is a pattern of our faith and obedience. When we are bidden to believe in him, believe in him up to the brim. When you're told to love him, love him up to the brim. When you're commanded to serve him, serve him up to the brim. Do whatever he tells you. Submit to his purposes. Hey, church, what are we doing that Christ has called us to do and I'm doing it up to the brim. I don't know how it's going to work out. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm the right person for that task. I'm willing to serve as a small group leader. I don't know how it's going to work out. I'm willing to help in kids' ministry. I'm going to help in, I don't know how it's going to work out because I'm not sure I have the gifts. I'm not sure I have the abilities. But I'm going to do it up to the brim. I'm going to fill it up to the brim and I'm going to let Jesus transform it. I'm going to let him work through it. I'm going to let him do what he needs to do in my life. I'm going to make him conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. Fill it up to the brim. Just whatever the purposes of Jesus are, that's what I want to do. God, help me do that better. Trust his direction is the next thing. In verse 8, and he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. Trust his direction. Seriously? We see six big jars of water. We're going we're to dip the jug in and we're going to take it to the master of the feast. Your son's not walking with the Lord and you're having a hard time with faith, believing God can change his heart. Just do what he says. I submit to his purpose and obey his direction. Your life situation, your health, there's something going on and it's difficult for you and it might not always make sense or be clear, but consider who makes the request and makes the request in your life to be faithful, to move forward, to do the next thing, to stand up, 
trust his direction. And then tied to that is obey his commands in verse 8 again. Um, he said, now draw some water and take it to the master of the feast. And so they, they took it. When do you think the water turned to wine? When do you think that happened? The video was just the video, right? In the video, it turned to wine somewhere between when they took it out of the big uh, jarks of clay and, and took it in the, and then did it, did it change as they were walking? Did it change as they poured it out? When, when did it change? Um, I don't know, and, and neither do you. Um, the Bible doesn't say. I do know this though, they obeyed his commands and they took it and they poured it into the cup and then they took it over to the one who was the, um, ma the manager of the wedding. Um, I like to think it happened as, as they're pouring and as it's pouring out, it's turning to wine. I like that because it's a way better picture of my own life, right? When do we see God work? When do we see the transformation? When do we see that? When we're pouring it out. When we're pouring it out. Not when you're reading about things in theory, not when you're, but when you're actually pouring it out. Now, don't come to me afterwards and go, the text doesn't say that. I know the text doesn't say that. I told you that's what I think happened. But he's pouring it out. And it turns to wine. And not only does it turn to wine, it turns to the best wine they've had all day. And God's given you some things to do and he's put some commands in your life and are you willing to pour them out for him? Are you willing to just to do what he says to do about those things? Because when you do, you see the reward. That's found in verses nine uh, to 11. Verses nine to 11 says, when the master of the feast tasted the water and now become wine and did not know where it came from, from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, like they knew, uh, the master of the feast called to the bridegroom and said to him, everyone else serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, and um, then the poor wine, but you've kept the good wine until now. And this is the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The glory of Jesus was revealed. Most of the people at the wedding benefited from it, but probably didn't really understand what was going on. Like, I'm not sure there were announcements being made. Hey, they ran out of wine. Hey, they ran out of wine. At first, it would be like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And a lot of scurrying around. And Mary's like, Jesus, Jesus, do something. What's this got to do with me? And then he goes over and, and he takes it, fill the water, fill them to the brim, because I'm going to transform this. So I don't know whether all of the people in the room knew. The servants certainly knew. The, the master of the feast certainly knew. The groom certainly knew. Probably the bride knew. Mary knew. And his disciples who watched this whole thing, they knew. They knew. And the master of the feast says, why did you save the good wine till now? 
And so the master of the feast, not knowing what really has gone on, he just knows there wasn't wine and now there is wine. He gives credit to the wrong place. He gives credit to the groom. Goes, hey, dude, well done. That's pretty awesome how you did that. Like, how did you pull that off? Like, he misses the point. What does the groom do? We don't really know. Uh, did he just say, well, yeah, you know, well, I guess I'm cool. I don't know what he did. Um, there's no, nothing in the text that says he did anything. Um, did he take credit? Was all in the plan? Or maybe just pass it off as a compliment? Glad you like the wine. There's a wedding that's filled with guests who enjoyed the best wine directly from the hand of Christ, but they don't know where the gift had come from. Christ remains in the background throughout this story. The guests are absorbed in the joy of the wedding. All they see is the servants hard at work serving this marvelous wine. They enjoy the gift without knowing the giver. So much in common grace. So much of what God has allowed for us, we enjoy without understanding it's come from the giver. But look at verse 11. This is the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in don't know the impact it ever really had on the servants. Don't know the impact it had on the master. Don't know the impact it had on the, the bride and the groom. Don't know. Don't even really know the impact it had on Mary because nobody tells us. We don't know. Um, but his disciples who are watching everything that Jesus is doing. Hey, 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 that's us. Right? Watching everything that Jesus is doing. They're just seeing it all going on around them. They knew and they believed. And they believed. Some of you are here today and you've heard the gospel over and over and over again. And the wine has been poured out for you over and over and over again. And, and you're at that point of, okay, okay, what, like, what do I do? What do I do? Well, they believed. They believed. Not, not in, not about, not some ethereal thing out there. They're like, no, we believe in Jesus. We believe... Have you ever come to that place where you put your trust in Jesus Christ? You've heard it. Jesus is rolling it all out for the world to see who he was and what he did. Have you believed? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and you will be what? Saved. You'll be saved. The hope that we have comes from knowing Christ. We live in a world that's very quickly, seems to be just disintegrating, falling apart in front of us, and our hope is, in, is just all, oh, what's going on? It's like, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The hope for eternity is not found in this world. It's not found in what you can accomplish here. It's not found in what you can do. It's found in Jesus Christ. We need to be people of God who stop living for today. Stop living for what I can get. Stop living for the next 15 or 20 years. Yes, we live in this world. We need to be in this world. We need, but we don't live for this world. Check your passport. You're a citizen of heaven if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. 
If you don't know Christ, believe in him. He's the one who paid the price for your sin. He's the one who was your substitution. He was the one who paid and suffered and satisfied the wrath of God. Believe on the Lord today and be saved. But church, in the Gospel of John, it said they already believed. They they believed already. They believe more. They're starting to see who Jesus is. And you need to be so careful. I need to be so careful with these guys not to be too hard on them because I get to read Revelation. I get to read the rest of the story. They're living it in real time. And they're seeing this guy who's now claiming to be the Messiah. And he's pouring it out. And they believe, they believe more, they believe more, they believe more. Hey, are you in the word every day? Are you growing up in Christ? Are you on your face before God, praying through the hard things of your life and believing more every day? Not believing more about your salvation, Understanding that may be more, but believing more about who this Jesus is and how I owe him everything. It all belongs to him because he's revealing himself because he's the Messiah. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He is the one that has the the call on your life. Believe. When the wheels fall off, when the wheels fall off, Where do you go? Well, so what? What does a text like this move you to do and move you to be? Submissive to the call on your life? Obedient to the commands of Christ? Trusting in his path for you? When the wheels fall off, Bring it to Jesus. Do what he says. Trust his directions. Obey his commands. And see his reward. It's there for all of us. By faith. Striving forward. For the glory of our King. King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, uh, this is your word. I thank you for this amazing miracle that Jesus did at the wedding at Cana. Uh, It was was done so that his glory would be revealed. And his glory is beginning to be revealed to these people in the Gospel of John. The Lord's glory has been revealed to us. And the principles of what happened in this text for that miracle to happen are the principles for us too. Father, we want to see the reward, but we need to come to the one who is the source of the reward. The one who doesn't just change things, but he transforms things. The one who understands every need that I have and desires that I would come to him. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for each person who's here today that we would be people of God with a passion to know Jesus more Cry out to him more, trust him more, obey him more, and see the reward of what you do for your glory in our lives. Because you are the king of kings, the Lord of lords. You are the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, our only hope. 
We thank you for those truths. Would we live out because of them in Jesus' name? Amen.